Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. This morning's scripture is from the 86th Psalm. I'm reading beginning in verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart to revere your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, the insolent rise up against me. A band of ruffians seeks my life, and they do not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me, Give your strength to your servant. Save the child of your serving girl. Show me a sign of your favor so that those who hate me may see it, may be put to shame because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. In 1988, uh, the interviewer Larry King wrote a book titled Powerful Prayers. And one of the unusual things about that is that Larry King is an atheist. You might find it surprising that he would write a book on prayers. He, of course, became famous for interviewing famous and influential people. And one night at dinner, he took his daughter's challenge. She said to him at dinner, you're always having conversations with powerful people. Why why not ask them about their prayers? Well, his book is not exactly a a Christian devotional classic. Uh, King interviews just all over the spectrum, rabbis and fundamentalist Christians and atheists. He interviews people who pray to Buddha and who pray to the great source of energy in the universe. It's all over the place. The themes of the prayers are different. The times are different. But one of the things I noticed in this book was this interesting contrast in the Christian prayers themselves. Many of the Christians who were talking about their prayer life reported all kind of different styles and and views. It's not that the Christian prayers just differed from the other prayers. The Christian prayers differed so much from each other or what they said about their prayer life. For instance, the former governor of Texas, Ann Richards, says that she prays at the end of each day, but she tries to, and I'm quoting, guard against the prayer at the end of the day becoming a mantra. Mantras are powerful, she says, but prayer can't be something done by rote. Well, compare that to singer-songwriter Willie Nelson, who says, He just prays the Lord's Prayer over and over. He said, I don't get creative. Willie Nelson's idea is 
Uh, God knows what's on your mind anyway. God knows what you want, what you need. He says he thinks uh, prayer is more for us than for God anyway. So the red-headed stranger just says the same prayer through the day over and over. And he has no set time for his prayer. Just all through the day, he's saying the Lord's Prayer. Contrast that to the discipline of former First Lady Barbara Bush. Speaking about her prayers during the White House before and after, she said, George and I pray every night together. By phone, if we are in different cities, we have been doing this ever since we have been married. See the contrast? Some people are careful about the way they word their prayers. Novelist Tim Robbins wrote uh, the, the book, Even Cowgirls Get the Blues. He wrote other popular novels. And, and here's what he says about crafting his prayers. I'm, I'm quoting, Being a writer, I'm overly cautious of my language. So, not wishing to bore whomever or whatever is on the receiving end with hackneyed phrases and yet wondering at the same time whether ornamentation and witticism might be inappropriate or even unwelcome. I'm a little inhibited, he said. So, you got the careful words of the novelist on one end of the spectrum. Compare that to the actress Renee Russo who says... I talk to God like I'm talking to you. I pray in a simple way, and I don't think there is a set way to do it. So who's right? Who's wrong? Should we pray set prayers uh, like Willie or guard against our prayers being wrote uh, like the governor? Should we pray all through the day Or, uh, like President and Mrs. Bush, every evening at a set time together. Should we pray like Rene Russo in this conversational style? Or should we take our cues from the novelist who is so cautious with his language because he doesn't want to be inappropriate? Well, by now, you're probably saying we might not should take our cues about praying from celebrities in the first place. How does the Bible address these same questions? What does the Bible have to say about where, when, how we should be in prayer? Well, let's see what the Bible does say. Should we pray at set times, or or rather, should we pray set prayers, or should we guard against rote prayers? Well, Ephesians 6 says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And then in Matthew 6, Jesus tells the disciples, this is how you should pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What does the Bible say about when and where to pray? 1 Thessalonians says, pray continually. Matthew 6, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Do we pray with the simple conversationalist style of Rene Russo or with the carefully chosen words of the novelist? 
Well, 1 John says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And Matthew again says, and when you pray, don't, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. So, let's recap. Pray on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests, but in the model that Jesus taught his disciples. Pray just like this. Pray continually, but go into your room and close the door when you do. Ask God for anything, absolutely anything, but don't keep babbling with a lot of words. Well, no wonder I run into so many people who declare that they just do not know how to pray, or they wonder if they're doing it right at all. Theologian Robert McAfee Brown says, Prayer for many is like a foreign land. We go there as tourists. This activity that's so central to the heartbeat and development of our faith, this essential communion with the God who created us and who loves us, and we're just kind of all over the place like tourists in a foreign land. This brings us to our psalm for today. And it's a psalm I just love because it's all over the place too. It starts off with such beauty and nobility. And then before it's over, the psalmist is asking for good things for himself. He's asking that bad things happen to other people. Have you, ever, have you ever done that? Have you ever had that experience? You start off praying and, and you're in your most holy language and your most sacred frame of mind. And after a while, you just start losing it and rambling. And before you know it, you're praying that the University of Florida never wins another football game. You just kind of... Well, th- th- this psalm starts out so beautifully. It's, it's a prayer that God's ways will lead in my life a prayer of gratitude for God's deliverance. Listen to the first part again. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart to revere your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. That is so lovely. And then in the next section, the the psalmist reverts to a little bit of name calling, but it's still not too bad. He he really sticks the landing uh, in this section, affirming God's mercy and God's grace. Oh God, the insolent rise up against me. A band of ruffians seek my life, and they do not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And then it just falls apart. Then the psalmist ends in a way that the whole prayer is all about him and his needs and his wants and his petty revenge. Turn to me, be gracious to me, give your strength to your servant, save the child of your serving girl. Show me a sign of your favor, 
so, so that those who hate me will see it be put to shame because of you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. See, I mean, it's, it's as though the psalmist has said, okay, enough about you, God. Let's, let's talk about me for a minute. Be gracious to me. Give strength to me. Show a sign of favor to me. And by the way, I'd really like it if my enemies could see how good you're being to me. And then they would be put to shame because you have helped me and you have comforted me. Well, Psalm 86 looks a little bit like uh, the Atlanta Falcons in Super Bowl 51. It started out so great. And then by the end, it's just gone off the rails. Well, what does this tell us about the life of prayer? For me, for me, the psalmist prayer that's part of our sacred scriptures offers me a kind of grace and freedom to be all over the place in my prayer life as well. I'm certain that many of my prayers have started off in praise and nobility and care for others and then soon turned into a wish list asking God to show me a favor. In fact, I would hate for my prayers to be audited. I'm sure I would be embarrassed by how much of my prayer takes on some form of God show a sign of your favor to me. When the disciples asked Jesus how they should pray, Jesus did give them a model. It's a framework to help them get started in the life-giving disciplines of devotion. Well, Psalm 86 is not a model prayer in that way, right? I don't think we should look at this like an outline for our prayers to teach it to our children as a model for how they should say their prayers where they're knelt down by their bed at night and you say, and then before you stop praying, be sure to ask God to do bad things to your enemies and give you what you want. No, in that way, uh, this is not a model prayer at all. But it is a model of sincerity, relationship. The psalm reminds us that it's more important that we do it than that we do it right. We pray in sincerity, we pray in relationship, we pray like a hopeful child in a parent's care. We pray high and noble prayers, and sometimes we pray for a good parking space, but we don't expect God to somehow be bound by our Christmas list. We pray for the sick, we pray gratitude for God's deliverance, we pray show me thy ways. Pray before your feet hit the floor in the morning. Pray in your car through the day, but don't close your eyes when you do it. Sometimes give the best possible language you have to your adoration for God. And other times you may just be praying in half sentences. But if we pray in relationship and trust and sincerity, we're not doing it wrong. We just keep praying However we're doing it, as we try to develop new and deeper ways to connect to the God who loves us. 
I was watching the Golf Channel one day. They were interviewing a golf coach who was working with a group of young kids, and five, six of them. They had their drivers out, the, the biggest, hardest-to-hit club in the bag. These kids are putting full golf swings, just swinging as hard as they can, railing at it. And the interviewer said, why have you got them started off with the hardest club to hit, swinging it as hard as they possibly can? Why, why not start off with the, you know, the touch of putting or the finesse of chipping? Why have them swing hard with the hardest club to hit? And the coach said, well, every now and then, when they connect, they experience the fun of just watching the ball soar. And it is that thrill that keeps them coming back. He said, there'll be time later to teach the techniques. But first, I want them to experience the thrill of making contact. I think that's a good word for our prayer life. There will be time for us to learn deeper and richer techniques to enrich our prayer. But for now, however you are offering up your prayers to God, it is the thrill of making contact with the one who loves you. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, Come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponstelian Baptist Church.